Pastor Donna, who has been part of the ministry here at Wilden Hills Church for, how long have you guys been here? Seven years. Uh, been a prayer warrior. Her and her husband, Jim, have been uh, uh, very involved in Elf and a number of other things. And God's used her in some real powerful ways. And she's given this talk to small groups and in different venues. And so we said, will you come and share this with the congregation? So would you welcome, uh, make her feel nice, warm and welcome, Donna. God bless you, Donna. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here today. I'm really passionate about what I want to share with you. And I hope and pray that what I share will bless you today as much as it has me. You know, I have to tell you that a number of months ago, I was, I was talking to the Lord. And I said, God, it is the desire of my heart to let people know how to be intimate with you. And I will tell anybody that you bring to me. Well, I need to warn you. If you tell him something, he takes you at your word. So be very, very careful. You just might find yourself up here. So, so. Just pray with me now. I want to invite him to come and be the Lord of this place. Holy God, Father Almighty, we invite you to come here and now. This is your church. We are your body. Oh, Lord, please come. And will you fill us, fill this place with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're here today for you. And we want you to come and manifest in power. Would you bring the gifts of your spirit to us, Lord? Would you come and bring gifts of healing and miraculous signs? Lord, we're hungry for you. We want to know that you love us. Meet us here today, Lord. And Father, we ask that you would bind the enemy in the name of Jesus. Keep him outside that door. Lord, would you seal this entire room with the blood of Christ and forbid him, cancel every assignment that he might have against any person who is here. We open our hearts to you, Jesus. Come here and meet us. We love you. And we thank you. And we pray it in your precious name. In the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Well, today, we're going to talk about communion. And I'd like to share with you some thoughts about Hebrew customs, betrothal and wedding customs. They might help us better understand a little bit what Jesus was actually saying and doing in that passage of 1 Corinthians at the Last Supper, as we call it. You know, in that passage, Jesus broke bread and he offered the cup to his disciples. It was, as I said, the Passover meal. And the Jews celebrate Passover to joyfully celebrate the fact that they have been freed from Egypt. They were freed from slavery. And we as Christians, we celebrate our freedom too, don't we? We celebrate it from the captivity of Satan. We celebrate it from death and hell. And Jesus also said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He wants us to meet him and be full of him. He wants to meet us wherever we're at. Whatever situation we're in today, no matter how difficult, no matter how, how um, much emotion it's causing in our life, maybe hopelessness, maybe some despair, he wants us to know that he is here to go with us. 
Now, God teaches us. He teaches us through concrete life experiences. He uses the things that we're most familiar with to help us understand the kind of a relationship that he wants with us. Take, for example, a biography. Let's say someone you know very closely has a biography, and you read it, and you know all about the details of their life. That's very different, isn't it, from living with them? I want to give you just one Passover example that God gave us, and he had the Jews rehearsing this for thousands of years before our Lord came. But this is how he teaches us with living experiences so that we will remember. It says in Scripture that when they chose the lamb, the Passover lamb, it was to be a lamb without blemish, without spot, and they inspected it for four days to make sure God gave specific ways that it should be killed and that it should be prepared for the Passover. His way of slaying the lamb was humane and merciful. It wasn't to suffer. That's not how they slayed our lamb, is it? Well, I know this is a little graphic, but in the scripture, it doesn't tell exactly how they roasted the lamb. But if you look in the oral traditions, there is a description of how they roasted the lamb. And this is graphic, but I want you to understand that God was trying to give us a picture. They took the lamb, and after killing it, they would put a pomegranate stick up through its body, longitudinally, and they would open it up and fillet it out like this on a crossbar. They took the entrails, and they wrapped it around the head, and they called that the crown sacrifice. They roasted that lamb upright in a fire like this. God had them doing that for thousands of years before Jesus came. Now, I'd like to show you how at that Last Supper, in the passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, Jesus was not only observing the Passover, but he was there actually proposing to his people a betrothal covenant. He was saying, I want to be your betrothed. You know, in scripture, it describes the church, that's all of us, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, as the bride of Christ. In Ephesians 5, 31 through 32, it gives us a direct parallel between the covenant of marriage and the relationship between Christ and the church. It says this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, and he will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Here again, God is using a life example to show us the kind of a oneness and an intimacy that he wants with us. And so God chose marriage. Yes, he chose marriage to be the example of that kind of an intimacy that he wants with us. But the problem is our marriages fall so far short of what he wants them to be that we can't hardly recognize that, can we? Just look at us. Look at the marriages that we know and are familiar with and those of our friends. They certainly don't always reflect the kind of a relationship that Christ would want with us, do they? So as we go on, as we talk about the bridal customs, I want you to keep in mind the kind of relationship that Jesus wants with us is ideal. It's where the two people don't fail each other. They're willing to die for each other. 
It's where they're always there to help each other along, to forgive each other, to encourage each other. That's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants with you and me. So let's talk a little bit about the first century Hebrew betrothal and wedding customs. And they will help us see that Jesus was saying, I am your betrothed. Well, first of all, in the first century, if a young man wanted to get married, he would choose the young lady of his adoration. And the first thing he would do is to write out a contract. Doesn't sound very romantic, does it? He would write out a contract, and it was called ketubah. And in the ketubah, it would delineate his willingness to provide for this young lady and what his role should be. And it also, of course, stated what he thought she should do for him. And then the very last thing that it delineated was the bride price, or the mohar, as they called it. Now, this price was very expensive. It was the very highest amount of money that he could afford to pay. And it wasn't that he was to buy the young woman, but he wanted to express to her his love and his commitment. Then secondly, he would meet with the young woman and her father. The father was to be the advocate. And usually they'd sit across the table from each other. And after he presented all of the contract, he would put a glass of wine between them. Now, if the young lady liked the contract, liked the negotiation, she would take that cup and drink the wine. At that point, they were now betrothed legally. They could not get out of this betrothal except for a divorce at this point. Then they would go through a betrothal of about one to two years. And during those one to two years, they usually did not see each other. This doesn't go over very well with us today, does it? But they had a lot of preparations to make, and so the two of them would be very busy during these two years. Well, I want to tell you how Jesus fulfilled these customs that I just mentioned. First of all, he came to his bride's home, didn't he? He came here to earth, and he gave us a new covenant in his blood. He provided in his covenant for our salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins, and for eternal life with him. He also paid the very highest bride price that could ever be paid. He paid with his blood. And he also offered a cup. And to those men at the Last Supper, they took the cup. They accepted it. And so have we. Many of us here have accepted that proposal, haven't we? Well, after the bridegroom presented these things, he would then give to the bride very special and expensive gifts. The reason for this was that he was going to be gone a long time. He wanted to encourage her while he was gone to build her up, and he also wanted to express his love. Jesus came, and he gave us the power of his Holy Spirit, and he gave us the power of the gifts of the Spirit to his body so that while we wait for him, we will be built up. We will be preparing in 1 John 4.13, it says this, We know that we live in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And in John 14.26, it says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and he will remind you of everything I've said to you. After the groom 
had presented the gifts. Then he went back to his father's house, and now he had a lot of work ahead of him. He had to prepare a place of intimacy and protection. It was a bridal chamber. They called it a hoopah. And he would work diligently on that. The interesting thing was that the wealthier the father, the more elaborate the chamber. And so only the father could decide when it was time for him to go back and get his bride. So the young man is going, Dad, am I ready? Is it complete? Is it ready? No, son, a little more work here, a little more work there. And it would go like that. Till finally the father would say, okay, the chamber's ready. Go, go back and get your bride. Jesus, in 14, 2 and 3 of the book of John, said this, In my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be where I am, that you may be with me where I am. Well, when the father finally gave the permission so the son could go back, it was usually at night that they would steal away and the groom would take his friends, at least two friends of the bridegroom. They would go back to the town, and upon arrival, they would blow a shofar. It's a large ram's horn, and it makes a lot of noise. They would wake up the town, tell everybody they're coming so that he could get his bride. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17, it says this, For the Lord himself will come down with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Mark thirteen thirty two says, No one knows about that day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So, back at the father's house, waiting, are the assembled guests. The bride and the bridegroom are welcomed in. They go into the hoopah, and they spend seven days there. They consummate the marriage. When they emerge from the hoopah, the beauty and the identity of the bride is made known to all the guests. Then they have a wonderful celebration, a wedding supper, and that concludes the ceremony. Now, Jesus' fulfillment of this is yet to come. And we see that in Revelations 19, 7 through 9. It says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Well, we've seen now what the groom was doing during those one to two years, and we've seen how Jesus fulfilled all of those customs. Let's take a look at what the bride was doing. After she accepted that cup, she was now set apart for this young man. She went through an immersion bath, a total immersion. It was called a migvah. And when I was in Israel, I saw they were like areas dug out in the ground, very deep, and they were filled with water that was always moving. It was called Mayim Chayim, or living water. When she came up out of that water, they said she's born again. 
was an amazing thing. Do you know that to this day, there are brides in certain Jewish sects that cannot marry without a mikvah? She also put on a veil to cover herself. When she went out in public, she wanted everyone to know that she was set apart for this particular young man. And all of her life, she'd been saving, diligently saving money because now she would buy expensive perfumes and cosmetics and salves to put on her body to make herself be the very best she could. And she would make for herself or pay others to help her make a beautiful gown. And it was a tedious job. It took time. It would be fit together piece by piece. And when it was done, it was beautiful. She also studied the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. She studied that with her mom and with the ladies in the town. And she kept her lamp ready, always, full of oil, because she didn't know when her groom would return. She would purchase costly salves, costly balms, we said, to prepare her body. How do we prepare? How do we prepare for our coming groom? Well, you know, like the bride back then, we study his word. We can find out in his word all about his likes and dislikes. We can find out what his character is like, what he wants from us, what he'll be for us. We do purchase for our body, both individual bodies and corporately for our body, expensive treatments that we can use to prepare ourselves. Think about this. What about putting on humility? That's costly, isn't it? What about putting on death to self? That's not something we want to think about. But we need to do that. What about putting Christ in the very first place of our lives? Putting others in second and us third? Or suffering. Be patient in suffering while we, while we suffer with others who are in pain or who are in illness or those who differ with us. What about forgiveness? A treatment or a balm of forgiveness that would cover us and enable us to be unified into this body as we wait for Jesus to come. We also make our gown. We make it beautiful as we cooperate with Christ, allowing him to adorn us with his righteousness and his holiness. And you know what? That is a process. It takes time. And when it's finished, it covers us. Scripture says it covers us without spot or wrinkle. Now, the scripture makes it really clear that Christ gives us his righteousness. But we have to receive it, don't we? We have to take it. And you know what? We have to be careful not to drag it through the mud because we can do that. I want to talk to you just a little bit about one way, one way that God wants us to submit our lives totally to him. And that way is in our personal holiness, in our sexuality. You know, my 17-year-old daughter, she said, Mom, how did you get from communion to sex? <laughs> I said, it's very applicable because God chose this example of holy marriage and holy sex 
to give us an experience that we could live through to know how much he wanted to be with us, how much he wanted oneness with us, how he wanted to be intimate with, with us. And you know what? Satan hates that. And so he's tried every way to destroy that and to pervert it. Marriage and godly sexuality is God's example to us. And sexuality has everything to do with it because we're created uniquely. Of all the beings that God created, we are created with a spirit and with a physical part. We're right at that intersection, right at that interface. Everything we do in the spirit affects the physical. Everything we do in the physical affects the spiritual. Do you know that the angels and all of the demons, they're not physical, they're only spiritual. And animals, they don't have a spirit that worships God. Now, some of you might differ with me on that, but they don't. We alone are unique, created like this. All sex is spiritual. And all sex is worship. Now, the question is, who are we going to worship? In Romans 12, chapter 1, it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And then listen, it says this, This is your spiritual act of worship. What we do in our lives is our worship. Jesus' gift is free, completely free, like Greg told us last week, with no strings attached. He bought us with his blood, the highest mohar ever to be paid. But as his bride, we have to receive him as Lord, give him first place in our lives, and then we covenant with him, and we commit our lives out of love and passion, not out of shame, not out of guilt. Think about a couple getting ready for marriage. You wouldn't get married out of shame and guilt. That's not what God wants. He wants our passion and our love, but he does want first place. So we're going to take communion. And before we do that, I want to offer those of you who are here today that have never ever made this covenant with Jesus to be his betrothed. You've never asked him into your lives for the very first time to be Lord. I want to give you a chance to do that. And there are those of us here who maybe have done that, but we know that our lives don't line up with what God wants for us. And so maybe we need to recommit to him. Say, Jesus, will you come? And will you fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit to get our lives in line so that our worship is for you? So I'm going to pray. I'd like us all to pray. You can pray this with me. Okay? Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming for us, for dying for paying the price for us. Lord Jesus, when you come back, we want you to come for us. Thank you. And we are sorry, Lord, for all the sins that we've done against you. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Now we're going to take communion, and I'd ask if the servers would come forward, please. Afterward, after we take communion, we're going to have um, some of our ministry leaders, pastors, prayer intercessors at stations all around this room. And I'd like to invite you to come. Anybody here who wants Jesus to touch them, to heal them in any way, spiritually, physically, emotionally, come and let these people pray for you. Their delight is to pray for you. Also, if you've accepted Jesus for the first time today, would you come up to this station right over here? And would you just tell the folks there so they can bless you and give you some information that will help you start your walk with Jesus? Jesus came because he wants to meet us right where we're at. Today, if you're in a place where you may even feel hopeless, he wants to show you not that your life is going to be easy, but that he will walk with you. He wants to walk through everything with you. And so I invite you to come. I invite you to come. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I'm going to ask that the servers would please pass out the bread now to everyone. As they pass out the bread, I'd like to let you know that you need to take some time to share your heart with Jesus. Tell him where you want him to meet you. You know, in the first century, the bread that they used at Passover was unleavened, without yeast. Because yeast goes into bread and puffs it up. And the scripture parallels leavening with sin. So we need to meet with Jesus, talk to him, tell him what are the areas of your life that you'd like him to touch and that you'd like him to heal. <laughs> 